Come on, lift up your hands right now and let's give him adoration and love and worship. Father God, we acknowledge your presence in this place. We are called to an everlasting preoccupation with you, an infatuation, a love affair with you. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and to worship him forever. God, I pray that we would continue to keep a praise on our lips, a worship in our mouths, glad tidings in our hearts. May we trust you in all things. May we constantly, may the refrain of our heart be that we love you, we worship you, we will serve you to the end. And then we'll keep serving you and we'll keep worshiping you because this life is not over. God, I pray that in everything, those who are watching, I pray that they would put their full trust in you and they're waiting you. I pray that you would speak through this word that you have given to me, God. There can't be a fire in this place. There can't be a fire in homes if there's an iceberg in the pulpit. So, Father, I pray that you would light me on fire, that you would consume my words, that you would consume everything in me that is not like you. God, may I only speak what you have called me to speak. And we'll give you all the glory, the honor, and the praise because you're worthy of it. It's in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Come on, wherever you are, why don't you put your hands together and thank God? Awesome, awesome, awesome. Well, if you have your Bibles, go to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Click or flip to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Last week, we discussed the way through trouble. Everybody say the way through trouble. And we were talking about the centrality of Christ in times of crisis. And today, I want to open up 2 Timothy chapter 4, and I want us to discuss this theme from this question, are you with me? Everybody say, are you you with me? me? Now, we're talking about relationships or community, friendships, brotherhood, sisterhood, the family of God. And for most of us, this would seem to be an odd thing for us to be talking about right now. We would look back and say, I don't really understand why we're talking about relationships in a time of quarantine and global pandemic. But I actually think that relationships can make us or break us right now. Relationships can be our advantage or our disadvantage. As a matter of fact, as I was thinking about this, I was reminded of a quote from one of my favorite theologians. His name is Howard Thurman. And Howard Thurman, in his autobiography, he writes these words. He said, there are two questions that we have to ask ourselves, two questions that we must all ask ourselves. The first is, where am I going? The second is, who will go with me? Where am I going and who will go with me? And if Howard Thurman is right, and I think he is, And if the Bible backs him up, and I think it does, then I think it would be important for all Christians, all believers, followers of Jesus to prioritize our relationships, right? It would be important for us to make sure we remind ourselves that we need people. How many know you need people? How many know you need others? You can't do it by yourself. You can't do it alone. How many you can testify? If you're watching, I want you to type in the comment section, I need other people. I want you to say it if you're here. Say, I need other people. Say it with me. I need other people. The truth of the matter is that the church actually has stumbled into what many economists, what many sociologists, what many researchers call the loneliness epidemic. If coronavirus is a pandemic, then loneliness and social isolation is an epidemic, according to the researchers. In 2015, UCLA did a study, and they found that nearly half, listen, nearly half of Americans report sometimes or always feeling alone. Not only that, they said only around half of Americans, that's 53%, have meaningful in-person social interactions, such as having extended conversations with a friend or spending quality time with family on a daily basis. And then this was the, the shocking thing for me. You know, I was a youth pastor for nine years before I moved into this role. And 
And what I found is that, you know, I put a lot of faith and hope in the next generation to solve the things that we struggle with. But, but they said, according to this report in 2015, that Generation Z right now would be adults 18 to 22. They're actually the loneliest generation. How many know we need some help with our relationships? Many of us feel lonely. And I think it's so important for us to right now recognize and acknowledge the fact that as we talk about loneliness, as we talk about isolation, people matter to God. Our relationships matter to God. Why? Loneliness and isolation matters because people are a key part of our journey with God. As a matter of fact, I want to make this argument that the progress of your purpose is directly related to the quality of your community. The progress of your purpose is directly related to the quality of your community. You, you don't just need to get where God is telling you to go. You also need to go with the right people. Amen. How many know that the right people make all the difference? How many know that you have to have friends and confidants and brothers and sisters in Christ who will spur you on? And for those of you who would say, you know, I don't really need people. That's not that big of a deal. Let me remind you that in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, God looks down at Adam and he says, it is not good for the man to be alone. Now, you have to recognize Adam had a relationship with God. He had a job. He had things that God had told him to do. But Adam had everything he needed to survive, but not everything he needed to flourish, church. Adam had everything he needed to make it, but not everything he needed to thrive in his full purpose. Human beings we're not designed to flourish in isolation. You need people. And here in 2 Timothy chapter 4, I think we find a couple of things that Paul can teach us, four groups of people that we need very quickly before I let you go. And 2 Timothy chapter 4, it's so interesting because it's the end of Paul's life. And at the end of Paul's life, he says in verse 7 and 8, look at it. He says, I have fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. And we close the book right there and say, well, he had a good run. We don't finish reading till the end of the chapter because at the end of the chapter, Paul is reflecting back on his life and his journey and his ministry. And what he's finding is that relationship has marked his journey. Look at verse 11, first group of people that you need in your life. Found in verse 11, Paul says in the A clause of 2 Timothy 4 verse 11, he says just five words, only Luke is with me. Everybody say Luke. He says, only Luke is with me. Now, this is interesting and telling precisely because Paul is a very famous figure when it comes to Christianity. Paul would be on our Mount Rushmore. Paul did great exploits. Paul testified of Jesus and stood down emperors and rulers and kings and people who would have suppressed the preaching of the gospel. And Paul did great miracles and planted churches and discipled people. But at the end of his life, he looked around and said, only one person is with me. Have you ever been there? You looked around, you got to the end of your rope, you got where your back was against the wall, and you looked around and you found only one or two people when you thought it was going to be more than that. Paul has that realization. And he and he says, only Luke is with me. Here we find the first group of people you need. Write this down. The first group of people you need in your life, you need covenant companions. You need covenant companions. Luke was a learned man. He was fluent in, in different languages. He was a linguist. 
He was someone who was also skillful in medical practices. But Luke, while he could have done all these things by himself, he decided to tie himself to Paul. He decided to connect himself with the mission of Paul. And it's good for us to remember that there are some people in our lives that God has assigned to love us and to befriend us and to care for us. And to wrap their arms around us. Aren't you glad some of you can testify? You're already thinking of people who are covenant companions. Everybody needs some covenant companions. Covenant companions, they test our loyalty. Covenant companions test our loyalty. Let me ask you this question as you're thinking about covenant companions. Perhaps this can be something you write down to think about later or meditate on. Let me ask you this question. Who's allowed to see the real you? Not the Sunday morning you, not the social media you that's been filtered and curated to show all your highlights and none of your bloopers, not the person that has it all together, not the person who smiles a lot. Who is allowed to see your tears, church? Who's allowed to see your scars? Who's allowed to see your wounds? Who's allowed to see your fears and your failures and your successes? Who's that person in your life that if you make it, they say, because you made it, I made it too. If you made it, we all made it. You know, who's that person in your life that is a covenant companion? Can you spare me just a few moments of authenticity, church? Can I be honest with you? I'm tired of making it seem like to people who are coming into our churches and who are making the decision to follow Jesus, I'm tired of making it seem like we got to have it all together all the time. I'm tired of making it seem like we have to falsify our feelings and fake our faith. I'm tired of making it seem like we got to have it all together because sometimes I ain't got it all together. Sometimes I need some people I can be honest with. I need some people that can handle my tears. I need some covenant companions. And here Paul is seeing Luke, who had walked with him for multiple years, and he's saying, only Luke is with me. I got a covenant companion in Luke. Who's allowed to see the real you, church? You see, covenant companions, they're costly. Some of you are saying, I don't want to let people that close into my life, because if they get that close into my life, they can hurt me. They might take information and use it against me, but I want to remind you, covenant companions are costly, but the returns outweigh the investments. You need someone who can bear with you and stay with you and wipe your tears in the midnight hour. They're covenant companions. They test our loyalty. I'm thinking about covenant companions. A few years back, I prayed to God. I said, God, give me lifelong friends that I can confide in, lean on, and grow old with. God sent me a few friends. Ray and Bradford and Akimini and Aaron and Brad and Frank and Max and all these other people in my life who have, who have bared with me in times. And I have to be honest with you, I don't know where I would be if I didn't have some people in my corner. I don't know where I would be if I didn't have some people who were loyal to me. I don't know where I would be if I didn't have some people who would stick up for me and who would have my back. Do you have some covenant companions, church? Not only that, the second group of people that God calls us to have is found in the B clause of 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11. Look at this. He says, only Luke is with me. Then he says, second phrase, get Mark and bring him with you. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. Now, if you're a first-time Bible reader, you might not think much of this phrase. You might think that, well, Mark was just a good guy. In some of your translations, he might be listed as John Mark, right? John Mark might have seemed to you like, okay, well, I guess he's going to help Paul out. But if you go back to Acts chapter 15, you'll realize something. Paul and John Mark don't have a good history. Paul and John Mark had some drama. Paul and John Mark had some beef. Paul and John Mark did not have a good relationship. 
On Paul's first ministry journey, he went with one of his covenant companions, a guy named Barnabas. And Barnabas brings along his nephew, John Mark, and he brings them along. And then once they get to a certain place, John Mark decides to abandon them. He decides to go back home. Maybe he thought, this is getting really real. I see y'all going to jail, jail. Y'all going to die, die. I don't want to be a part of this. So let me go back home to mama's cooking. And Paul marked that in his mind. And he said, you know what? He's never going to be allowed to come back. And Barnabas said, it's either both of us or none of us. And Paul says, no, I choose none of you. He decides to hook up with a guy named Silas and decides to go on another missionary journey. And so here we see at the end of his life, though, after they had had beef, after they had had drama, that Paul says, bring John Mark because he's helpful to me in my ministry. The second group of people you need, not just covenant companions, write this down. Second group of people you need are assignment associates. Assignment associates. Some people are present in your life, and truth be told, you wish they weren't. Some people have been assigned to you, and you've been trying your hardest to get them away from you. Some people, you know for a fact that God put them in your life because you wouldn't have picked them if you had the choice. You see, covenant companions, they test our loyalty. But assignment associates, people who we are associated with for a specific season of our lives, they test our capacity. They test our capacity to love. How many times are you going to fall into the same trap? They test our capacity to forgive. You went off on me after I did all this for you. You stabbed me in my back. Covenant companions, they test our loyalty, but assignment associates, they test our ability to be patient. How is it that you're doing the same thing you fell into the past three weeks and I gave you the advice and I gave you the way out and I gave you the scriptures, but you still keep falling to the same thing? Do you have anybody in your life that you don't really have much patience for? Do you have anybody in your life who you take a deep sigh whenever they call your phone? Who you take a deep sigh whenever you see them and they run up to you at church and you try to do the high and buy thing, you try to run away from them. You know, there are some people in your life that are assigned to you. And you know, this is really important, church. Paul says, John Mark is now helpful to my ministry. Can I give you something that will encourage you? God assigns you people before he assigns you projects. You know, some of us, we've been looking around and we've been saying, God, take me to another level. Every single year we pray, God, take me to another level. Take me to another level. And God is looking down with his divine megaphone and he's trying to tell you in the spirit, why is it that you want to go to another level? You don't even like the people on the level that you already own. So why would I give you more people? I assign you people before I assign you projects. The test of how God is going to promote you it is first not your productivity, not your mission, not your ability, not your gifts, not your talents. Your assignment is a person. Your assignment are the people who annoy you, who get on your nerves, who you can't stand, who tend to tap dance on that last nerve that you have. Those are your assignments. And what we don't realize is that these people will grow our capacity. They will grow our relationship. You know, there's this thing in our culture and assignment associates, they test this reality. There's this thing in our culture. It's called you do you. You ever heard this phrase? You do you. I'm going to do me. You do you. How many know that's not biblical? That's not kingdom. You know, I know it sounds real good, 
We have cutoff culture. And mind you, I'm not talking about people who are toxic or abusive or dysfunctional. I'm not talking about people who are literally stabbing you in the back and are a threat to your health and your safety. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about minor disputes. And we look at those people, and you know what we say? We say, I don't do drama. You ever said that? I don't do this. I, you do you. I'm going to do me. See, I don't do this. I, I don't do what they doing. I don't, I don't get around them. You know, we start saying that our personalities don't mix. Our personalities don't gel. You know, we got a different spirit. There's a spirit on them I don't really like. And you know, sometimes that's real. And other times it's just we don't want to do the hard work of obeying God with the people that he has assigned to us. And I'm just going to be real with you. I know, hey, hey look, I know it's a, it's a stream, but I'm just going to be real with you. Whenever you're tempted to think, I don't do drama. Whenever you're tempted to think, you do you and I'm going to do me. I want you to remember something, church. I want you to remember God doesn't do sin, but he still saved you. God don't do iniquity, but he still rescued you. God don't do that, but he still redeemed you. And I, I think somebody needs to remember where you were when God found you. Somebody needs to remember what you were doing when Jesus grabbed you and picked you up out of the miry clay. And we say, if God can be patient with me, I can be patient with you. Can you just say that right now? I can be patient with a few people, the people who I am assigned to. And what God is trying to challenge us with He's trying to say, remember where I brought you from. Truth be told, can I give you some, some pandemic principles here, some advice? This is for free. Bear with people right now. Bear with people. Give people some mercy. Give people some grace. Give people some unmerited favor. Forgive them. Be long-suffering towards them. Because I don't know about you, but I'm not at my best right now. I know you're probably not at your best right now. And when we're not at our best, we beg for mercy and we beg for grace. But then when it comes time for us to give that grace out, we get stingy. And we don't like to give it. We like to hoard it for ourselves. But I got so much mercy and grace from God that it's, it has no choice but to overflow and go to you and to you and to you and I know you got some problems but I'm gonna bear with you because God bared with me assignment associates these are the people you don't like but God has a sign to you number three third group of people Paul demonstrates for us these aren't people other people in Paul's life but this is actually Paul himself second Timothy chapter 4 verse 5 second Timothy chapter 4 verse 5 it says this he's talking to Timothy he says but you keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. Third group of people you need, you need covenant companions. You need assignment associates. Then number three, you need mature mentors. You need mature mentors. Can I help you with something today, church? You don't know everything. Now I know we have Google and we have Facebook and we have YouTube and we have you know, the World Wide Web is at our fingertips, and we have Alexa and Siri, and we can ask for everything that we need, and we can seemingly figure out the answer to everything, but I'm just going to help you understand something. You're not where you need to be yet. God is not done with you yet. And if God is truly not done with you yet, then you need some people that help to carry you from where you are to where you should be. Those are mature mentors. Mature mentors bridge the gap between where we are and where God would want to take us. You see... If covenant companions test our loyalty and assignment associates test our capacity, mature mentors, they test our humility. Are you willing to sit down and listen? You see, here's what I'm, I'm realizing as I get a little bit older. What I'm realizing is that more than 50% of discipleship, more than 50% of walking with God is just being honest and not lying about where we are when people ask us how we doing. 
More than 50% is just being honest enough to say, I need some help. See, you need somebody in your life who's not going to judge you, but is going to be able to speak truth to you, enough to tell you you're not where you should be, but I'm going to help to show you the way to get where God is going to take you. You need mature mentors. Let me ask you this question, church, before I move on. Who's allowed to hurt your feelings? Who's allowed to tell you the truth in love and it cuts you? And you can't get away, you can't push away from the table, you can't eject from that relationship because in reality, these people have served you and they've loved you and they've bared with you and they've looked out for you so you know they really care about you, but you just in your feelings because they spoke truth to you and they cut to the thing that you really needed to hear. Who are the mature mentors? I was having a conversation with one of my mentors a few years back and I'll never forget he was asking me questions about my life and he was holding me accountable. And, you know, I was trying to get out of it. I was trying to sweet talk my way around it. You know, I'm, I have the gift of gab. That's what God has given me in his economy. So I thought I could talk my way around my mentor. My mentor held his hand up. He said, you know what, Tyler, I'm just going to be honest with you. Those all sound like excuses to me. And I remember I sat back. I said, I said you know, you want to get mad. You know, you want to do that face. You know, like, you, you know, that's a parent talking to you or something. You want to kind of shrug your shoulders. He said, let me tell you, you're a six-foot man, but you're really walking around like you're three feet. You need to stand up. That was heavy for me. That was difficult for me. I'm telling on myself, but the reality is I needed a mentor in that stage of my life to tell me you're not where you should be, and you need to have the humility to sit down and learn and listen. Do you have the humility to sit down and learn and listen to the people that God has placed in your life? They bridge that gap. You need covenant companions. You need assignment associates. You need mature mentors. Last group of people you need in your life. You ready? Don't throw the phone at me. Last group of people you need in your life, you need deceivers and deserters. You need deceivers and deserters. I know some of you are, are Christian cussing me out under your breath. Some of you are clicking away from the live stream. Some of you said, I knew I shouldn't have clicked on this one when it scrolled down, and you're rebuking me right now. But let me just tell you about Paul. Let me tell you about Paul. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, he says this, For Demas... Because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Demas, a guy who was a faithful worker for him. In the Greek, it literally means that Demas left Paul hanging. You ever had somebody left you hanging? You ever had somebody that deserted you in your time of need? Right when you didn't need somebody to leave you alone, they left you alone? Not only that, but we, we go on to see in verse, in verse 14 that Alexander the coppersmith, he also stabbed Paul in the back. He did great harm to him. You ever had somebody lie on you? You ever had somebody spread rumors about you that weren't true? Now, I know we don't do that on Facebook. Social media, you know, everybody tells the truth on social media. But, but, but for the people who are watching on the screen, you ever had somebody that desert, deserted you and deceived you? Not only that, but look at this. This is Paul, the Mount Rushmore Christian. Verse 16, 2 Timothy 4, he says, At my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. You ever felt like you were all alone? You ever felt like you were abandoned? You ever felt like you didn't have a friend that you could call? You need deceivers and deserters. Can I help you out with some church? Everybody is not going to like you. 
Everybody is not going to be happy that you've made the decision to follow Jesus. Everybody is not going to clap for you when you take those big, bold stands and you follow after righteousness and truth and justice. They're not going to like that. But let me help you with something. Betrayal is the occupational hazard of Christianity. Everybody's got to go through it. Deceivers and deserters test not our loyalty, not our capacity, not our humility. They test our integrity. Do you really believe what you say? Do you really believe what you sing? And I don't know about you, but if I was Paul, I would get really upset and I would have gotten mad. Paul doesn't seem to really get mad at these people. Paul says, everyone deserted me, but hey, I'm just going to say this. Verse 16 of 2 Timothy 4, may God not lay it to their charge. That wouldn't have been me. I would have wrote some stuff. I would have subtweeted them. I would have sent out some statuses really talking about them, but I didn't tag them. You know, I would have, I would have poked them a little bit. I would have told people to watch out for those people, but that's not, that's not what Paul does. And I was trying to figure out how does Paul respond this way to deceivers and deserters? How does Paul respond with his humility, with his integrity to these people? You know, recently I was, uh, I was preaching at our church about Dr. King, and I was preaching about that fateful time when Dr. King wanted to give up on the Montgomery bus boycott. And he sat down in his kitchen and he prayed to God. And he said he felt in that moment that God had said this. And it's very interesting because I see a lot of parallels between what Dr. King said and what Paul says to Timothy. He says this. He said God spoke to him and said, stand up for justice. Stand up for truth. Key phrase here. And God will be at your side forever. And God will be at your side forever. Now, something clicked in me when I preached that because there was a connection that I felt with Paul and what he said to Timothy. Because if you scoot down a little bit in the passage, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 17, this is what Paul says after he said, Demas betrayed me. And after he said, Alexander did me great harm. And after he said, everyone deserted me. Look at verse 17. He says, but the Lord stood at my side. You know, I love certain words in the Bible. There are certain words I can't get my head around, but certain words I really like. One of those words is but. It's a, it's a three-letter word. It's a preposition. It, 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 it signifies that everything that's happened before, it's about to be shifted and turned around. You see, he says, but after y'all did that, after y'all left me by myself, after y'all deserted me, after y'all lied on me, he says this, but the Lord himself, the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through the message... Through me, the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. You see, you have to have deceivers and deserters, not because God wants you to get hurt, but because God wants to remind you that after everybody has left you, he's going to stand with you. God wants to remind you that after everyone has abandoned you, he said, I'm going to stick with you. After everyone has betrayed you, I'm not going to betray you. And I think there's a few people in here and a few people watching who have had the experience of feeling like they're all alone and the only thing that kept you going was knowing that God was by my side. God promised not to leave me, not to forsake me. God, he would be the friend that sticks closer than a brother. And here's the thing I love about God. God is good to overcome all the messes in your relationships. Can I tell you, God, it says here that when mother and father forsake me, God is going to be good enough to take me up. It also says in Proverbs that he is the friend that sticks closer than a brother. It also says when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in the fire, that there was a fourth man in the fire who also wasn't getting consumed. He looked like the son of God. And I'm here to tell you, church, 
That if you're abandoned, you're in good company because Jesus was abandoned. Jesus was deceived. Jesus was deserted. But here's the good news. Jesus ain't going to leave you hanging, baby. Jesus ain't going to leave you in the lurch. Jesus ain't going to leave you by yourself. Is there anybody in here who is glad to know that you serve a God who is faithful to you even when you're faithless, who is good to you even when you ain't got no business being blessed? Stand to your feet, lift your hands, lift your hands. We done. Stand to your feet, lift your hands. Deceivers and deserters reveal for us that there is only one person who can ultimately be trusted. There is one person who can ultimately have all of our faith, all of our hope, all of our confidence in him. His name is Jesus. And Jesus is here to tell you today, when everyone else has left you, I'm right here. I'm not going anywhere. I promise to stand by you. I promise to stay connected to you. Will you worship that God right now? Will you wave your hands in his presence? Will you worship that God? He's good enough. Good enough not to leave you by yourself. Good enough not to leave you hanging. When everybody left me, the Lord stood at my side. My God, he gave me strength. I don't know about you, but I need that reminder. He's good. He's not going anywhere. He's going to stand with you even through the fire, through the rain, through those dark nights. Father, right now, I want to speak to, I want you to speak to those who are feeling abandoned, who are feeling like they're let down, who are feeling like there is nobody around them. God, those who have endured relational hurts and frustrations and pains and aches and deceit and desertion, I pray that you would recognize, I pray, God, that you would reveal yourself to them and remind them that you are a good father who does not intend to to lie to them as as humans would. You can be trusted with everything, the good and the bad, the positive and the ugly, the difficult things. I pray for those who do not have a relationship with you. I pray that they would make that decision today. I pray that they would put faith in you. I pray that they would recognize where they have sinned, recognize how much you have been good to still bless them in the midst of it. And I pray, God, that they would put all faith, trust, and hope in you. I pray that they would just cry out, Jesus, save me. What must I do to be saved? It's simple. You just confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God has raised Jesus from the dead and you will be saved. It's simple. It's a prayer. And God, I pray for those who are so frustrated right now because people who claim your name have left them hanging. People who claim your name continue to stab them in the back. I pray, God, right now that in this time of social distancing that we wouldn't be socially isolated, that we wouldn't be spiritually distanced from one another. But I pray, God, I pray, God, that we would have real, authentic, healthy, mature relationships. Relationships that reflect your relationship with us. You said you would never leave us, never forsake us. God, I pray that you would heal hearts that are broken. I pray that you would mend wounds in souls, in minds, in bodies. And I pray for those who are not forcing themselves to be isolated, who are not desiring to be isolated, but God, they just look around and they say, I don't really know who I can trust. I don't know if I I have any real friends. If that's you and you're watching right now, I just want you to type in, in the comments, I want you to type in, that's me. 
you know, mental illness and, and pains and suicide and, and all kinds of isolation. It's running rampant right now because people just don't feel like anybody sees and hears them. And if, if that's you and you're watching right now, just want to let you know God sees, God hears. We see you, we hear you, and we apologize where we may have fallen short in that. But I pray that you would open yourself up to someone, that you would be honest, that you would take that risk. So, Father, right now, God, would you wrap your arms even around the people who feel lonely, abandoned, left out in the cold, ostracized. And I pray that you would show yourself strong to them, that the presence and the peace of God would fill the room that they're in. It would be supernatural. And, God, I pray that we as a community, we as a body, we as a church, the global church, not just here in Pensacola, but the global church, I pray that we would model your character that we would model your love, that we would model your compassion. Give us the strength to do it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, come on, put your hands together. Can I say this before we leave, before we get going? I got two things I want to challenge you to do, two things, very simple. You can write these down, but you can remember them in your heart and in your mind. Number one, this week I want you to FaceTime your friends. FaceTime your friends. Check up on your friends. FaceTime, it's just a euphemism for what we do on iPhones, but if you have an Android, Skype your friends. Reach out to them. Get in a place where you can see people. Staying, you know, staying obedient to what the CDC has told us and the World Health Organization, but, but FaceTime your friends. Really lean into them in this season. And the second thing I want you to do, not just FaceTime your friends, but also church, forgive your enemies. Life is too short, church. We've been hanging on to stuff and we've been feeling beefs and we've been, we've been clinging to our bitterness and clinging to the pains of, of what we've lost, clinging to what that person did to us years ago. God says, now's the time. You got all the time in the world to make it right. Make that call and forgive your enemies. And they might not accept you. You might not have even been, even been at fault, but I want to encourage you. Get it out of your heart. Life is too short. Jesus is going to hold us accountable. Can we FaceTime our friends? Can we forgive our enemies? If you can do that, why don't you lift your hands and say, I can do that. I'll give it a shot. I'll give it a try. And just do as much as you can do because I'm telling you, relationships are going to make or break us in this season. And God doesn't desire us to be spiritually quarantined from one another. But he's saying, enter into true, authentic relationship. God, would you give us the strength to do it? to FaceTime our friends and to love them well and to forgive our enemies in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. come on, put your hands together and thank God. He is worthy. Come on, you can do better than that. Give him a shout of praise. Come on, give him a shout. He's mending relationships right now in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Well, church, I said it last week, the greatest news you can receive is that there is a God who knows you, loves you, and cares for you and expects nothing from you other than surrender. Isn't that great news? To know that God, to believe in that God, to call that God your friend. And that's why we're here. We desire for people to have a transformative relationship with Jesus. We desire for that God to be seen and known in our lives, in your life. That's why we're here. So if you have not met that God and you desire to, I want you to type home in the comments. It is just very simple. It's just a prayer away that as you reach out and say, God, reveal yourself to me. I know that the way I've been living isn't the way that I want to continue. I want to follow after this person that everyone keeps talking about. I want to follow after this Jesus. 
because it seems as if this Jesus has a better way. It seems as though this Jesus offers the overflowing grace, love, peace, and joy, salvation that I desire and that I need. And if that's you, again, type home in the comments. Nothing gives us more joy, not producing a service, not preaching a good sermon, not singing songs. Nothing gives us more joy than to see you taken from your state into life eternal, taken into a joy that you cannot even comprehend. And so if that's you, again, type home in the comments and we are excited to introduce you to that God. If you just tuned in and you would like to give, you can do so in three ways. You can click the giving link in the comments. You can also go to NDCC Pensacola on your Android or iPhone iOS store. You can download our app and you can do that there as well. Or you can mail it in the old fashioned way, PO Box 6400, Pensacola, Florida 32503. Well church, I miss you so much. I pray that this message and the worship has encouraged you to get through the week. And we'll see you next week for another service right here at NDCC Pensacola, where our destiny is helping you to unlock your destiny. I love you. I hope you stay safe and healthy, and I'll see you next week. Peace. It's all for you. Really ain't nothing new. We ain't been loving you. It's hard to choose. Really hard not to lose. You ain't throwing out the dose. It's all for you. It's all for you. Yeah, yeah. It's all for you. Really ain't nothing new. We ain't been loving you. It's hard to choose. Really hard not to lose. You ain't throwing out the dose. It's all for you. It's all for you. Yeah.